0: This is the Industrial IoT Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. We have seen the emergence of what I call modern Internet of Things. It's really the connectivity piece and the data aggregation piece that is usually missing in the infrastructure right now in the market.
1: Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Market Scale IoT Podcast. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the show. A quick reminder that MarketScale is at CES right now, and we're covering one of the largest trade shows in the world from top to bottom. My colleague Daniel Litwin is there posting all of our social media, and you can follow along at MarketScale on Twitter and on Instagram. We're also posting a lot of great content over on our software and technology page. And I know this is IoT, but there's a lot of overlap between those two verticals and between those two industries right now, especially with what's going on at CES. So If you want all of the latest in the innovations in the software and tech world with a lot of IoT overlap, make sure to go follow our CES coverage there as well. Coming up on the show today, we have a big show planned for you. A lot of great content coming your way. The first feature of the day is a conversation that our correspondent Shelby Skurhock had with David Gilley, the Assistant Vice President of Business Development and Strategy at Virginia-based Encore Networks. And he's part of this burgeoning emergence of private LTE networks being used in energy utilities across the globe. And he sat down with MarketScale to discuss that trend and explain the intricacies of this brave new world. So it's going to be an exciting conversation. I can't wait for that one with our correspondent Shelby Skirhock. After that, our correspondent Sam Moser is going to catch up with Esme Williams. She's the vice president of brand marketing at All Recipes, and she's going to join us this week to talk about the development, implementation, and success of its beacon marketing, as well as how others can follow their strategies to find success with beacons. So, All Recipes has seen their monthly users on their app go up by millions, which is an insane rate of growth. And so, we're going to find out how they did that, and how IoT technology and beacon marketing really played a part in that. So, it's going to be a really interesting conversation. Can't wait for that one as well. So like I said, lots of great content coming up on the show today. Remember to go follow along with our CES coverage as well. Coming up next is that conversation that Shelby Skirhock had with David Gilley, the Assistant Vice President of Business Development and Strategy at Virginia-based Encore Networks.
2: When a wireless network is responsible for controlling the complex infrastructure that will get the power back on in a natural disaster... Performance and reliability are critical. That's why electric utilities and other infrastructures are looking to control their own environment with private LTE networks. It brings the performance and capability of LTE technology from commercial carriers like AT&T and Verizon and brings that in-house for better control and operability. David Gilley is Assistant Vice President of Business Development and Strategy at Virginia-based Encore Networks. He's part of the burgeoning emergence of private LTE networks being used in energy utilities across the globe. He sat down with MarketScale to discuss the trend and explain the intricacies of this brave new world. Dave, thank you so much for joining me. When we're talking about these private LTE networks, I mean, how specifically are you defining this kind of network? Because I understand there's a little bit of variation in that definition. Plus, will you explain what Encore Networks does?
3: Uh, Absolutely. So Encore uh, has been in the industry For about 17 years, manufacturing wireless gateways uh, at a global level, uh, working with a variety of enterprise clients and more specifically into the utility infrastructure, which has kind of led us into the discussion around private LTE. So, specifically with regards to private LTE networks, um, that is the trend for. Utilities uh, like investor-owned utilities and other entities such as railways and shipping yards and um, uh, even smart cities just to take a look at the trends in commercial networks. And when I say commercial network, that means Verizon and AT&T and T-Mobile and Sprint. Look at those trends which have evolved from 2G and 3G technologies to now 4g 4g lte and now of course everything in the press is around 5g lte which means super fast speeds right but these utilities specifically are taking a close look at that trend and and saying you know what we want to have our own networks um, because we um, are our public entities, and and we have to manage our assets and our infrastructure um, by uh, five, seven, ten year, fifteen year plans. And the commercial carrier technology is so rapidly changing that it's it's hard to keep on forklifting all this equipment, communication equipment, all the time to keep up with the commercial carriers. So now there is a trend to take LTE, which stands for long-term evolution. Uh, LTE was really developed by Qualcomm Engineering. Um, and that's really what built the um, commercial networks, 4G technology with uh, the likes of Verizon and AT&T and et cetera. And take that technology, which is LTE, and, and deploy that into their own private networks. So just like you would for your house, you have your own private Wi-Fi. But now these utilities, uh, which might have a footprint of multiple states, are, are deploying their own network to control things like their distribution grid, their smart grid, um, things that are on their transmission systems or distribution systems so they can manage that communication aspect end to end. We first saw that trend five, seven years ago in, in, in the metering industry called AMI, or automatic metering infrastructure and uh, in that trend to control the metering experience. And now that has evolved into the um, critical infrastructure, into distributive automation in that environment, in, into the utilities. And so they want to control that themselves.
2: So you mentioned an example of uh, something that's possible with these private networks, and that's the automated meter infrastructure. Um, explain a little bit more about that.
3: Yeah, so AMI probably has evolved over the last five to seven plus years, and and it's a trend to really instead of having somebody walk by your meter and and physically go and look at every meter at, at every residence and look at the analog uh, how much power you use at, at a residential house or a commercial enterprise to evolving into. Automatically, that meter sending information back to that utility. Um, so that has evolved to taking, you know, replacing all those meters to uh, having that into. Uh, traditionally what's called a hub and spoke type of scenario, whereas the meter is going to be broadcasting on its own type of network and then collected to a hub, if you will. So the the spoke is the meter and then the uh, central hub kind of collecting all that information from the meters. Um, And that's on the utility's private network. That was the first trend by several companies to help utility companies get all this information from individual meters instead of having feet on the street. Now, what uh, utilities are saying is, how do I manage my critical infrastructure? Those are things like voltage regulators, cap band controllers, um, IntelliGrid. And then as it evolves into the world of solar inverters and grid tie solutions and in, in controlling that, all of that has to be on a network to communicate that back and forth to the utility. And they certainly don't want to do it on a a residential Wi-Fi, right? So they want to control that experience. And the real reason they want to control that experience is to make sure the network is redundant, to make sure that they manage outages and respond to outages from, you know, things like natural disasters and and can make sure that, you know, they are leveraging technology.
2: I imagine there are a lot of both pros and cons to having that control or that responsibility that utilities are are considering when they're determining whether to go into private LTE networks. What should they be considering?
3: Yeah, absolutely great question so you know keep in mind the commercial networks and you know the AT&T's and the Verizon's um, you know they're building their networks so that they are inherently strong and, and and very very robust to be secure and and uh, you know the evolution from 4G to 5G it, you know they want to make sure that they keep these enterprise customers on there um, but um, the utilities are, are are kind of rolling the dice and saying you know what we can roll out our own networks, um, but the costs to do that uh, are pretty significant. So um, they've got to consider everything from tower build out, um, you know, which commercial carriers already have, um, to uh, the spectrum, the spectrum to do that private LTE network, to the, uh, you know, the base stations that are supporting that spectrum. And then, of course, the end gateway device, which is what Encore does. We we manufacture gateways uh, that work both on wireless uh, onto the commercial carrier network and private LTE networks. And um, and so we're kind of that uh, great stepping stone to help uh, utilities make that leap into private LTE. So there's a significant cost for utility to kind of um, move that. But if they can manage that on a 5, 7, 10 year or 15 year plan and, and kind of manage those expectations and, and better... Um, uh, you know, send those costs back to you know the end user, um, the better, right? And, uh, so that's what they're looking at. Now, when you talk about spectrum, however, uh, it's important to understand that there's there's quite a difference. So there are trends to for utilities to look at 700 megahertz and uh, 600 megahertz, and you know that's uh, you know 700 was what was used by the commercial carriers, um, and, and that's a was pretty much the old UHF uh, frequencies that were out there. So uh, at the end of the day, think of it, they don't need as many towers uh, as they might for higher spectrum. So there is a great conversation around 3.5 megahertz, uh, 3.5 gigahertz uh, called CBRS, which is Citizens Broadband Radio Spectrum. Um, That, because it's higher, 3.5 gigahertz, that's going to require more towers, Um, and more infrastructure to communicate. However, there's a giant consortium behind CBRS to kind of make that happen. Um, But utilities are also looking at 900 megahertz. 900 is a very popular, um, there are several companies that own that spectrum uh, that are selling that back to utilities or leasing that back to utilities so they can take that spectrum uh, and across their footprint and, and operate their critical infrastructure. So again, kind of summarizing, Um, utilities are considering either, say, 600, uh, 700, 900, or uh, 3.5 gigahertz seems to be the popular path for spectrum. And there's a couple other um, uh, allocations that are coming up as well. But that's kind of the the main thread of discussion. Um, But again, it's all a matter of cost. Uh, To kind of summarize, it's the spectrum purchase or lease. It's going to be the critical infrastructure, meaning the towers to support that spectrum. It's going to be the base stations. There's cost for that. And then there is the end gateway device, which is that communication back to that recloser, the IntelliGrid, the uh, solar inverter grid tie. Um, All of that requires communication back and forth. So all of those components help make that private LTE solution come together.
2: So Dave, Help me understand something. Why are utilities focused on private 4G networks when all the commercial carriers are touting 5G? I mean, that seems to be the very latest technology. So, why are the utilities pushing for that older 4G?
3: Well, again, it's, um, you know, they can manage that communication of those devices. They don't need necessarily need. Uh, high throughput to manage the um, keep-alives and the triggers and the pulses, if you will, of a cap bank controller or a voltage regulator uh, or or down to the smart grid. Um, in certain instances, they're going to need that high throughput, but for, for majority of their infrastructure, the, the LTE, 4G LTE, is more than sufficient. Now, that said, um, private LTE is not constrained by uh, all these other you know, iPhone devices and you know, Samsung devices and, you know, and constraints on the network. So there can be surveillance solutions out on the private LTE networks, which are, are, can get the bandwidth they need to drive that solution as well. So, you know, utilities, again, are, are hedging their bets because they don't want a forklift to 5G. Um, they want to invest in something that's going to be um, there to manage what they are responsible for, which is their uh, infrastructure. Commercial carriers are, are touting 5G, and you certainly see those trends out there in um, you know some some of the major metropolitan markets. But those don't necessarily align to the utility strategy.
2: Let's. Talk about the capabilities that become present when a utility company can use its own private network. Like, does that open the door for implementing better or more IoT devices? Uh, Take the hub-and-spoke smart grids, for example. Like, what kind of capabilities start to emerge
3: Again, if you kind of think of what we do as Encore Networks, we make a wireless gateway. Our gateway talks today on the AT&Ts and Verizon's, and now private LTE networks. That is the communication interface back to everything that's going on uh, around the grid, uh, and that's what makes the smart the grid smart. Right, um, is taking these types of devices and and being that communication interface to say, hey, I've, I've got a, a down line. Or I've got a down transformer, uh, or there is a surge in in power usage coming from X. I need to manage that, and the utility needs to kind of be reactive to that. So that's where these devices come into play. And as I kind of mentioned, there's also a trend as we push towards renewable energy to look at solar solutions. Now, solar uh, you know solutions and solar panels have been around for thirty plus years, but with the giant push for renewable energy, that's coming more and more into play, and, and there's going to be a lot of push for um, these utilities to adopt to um, solar inverter slash grid tie solutions. So grid tie means communication back to the grid, and, and in order to do that, that's got to again be on a private network, and there's got to be a device that communicates back and forth to the utility of what type of solar energy is somebody producing, whether it's a home or whether it's a commercial enterprise. And that impacts to, from the grid is very, very important.
1: Thank you to Shelby Skirhock and to David Gilly for that look at private LTE networks and how they're being used in utilities across the world. Coming up next is that conversation that our correspondent Sam Mosier had with Esme Williams, the Vice President of Brand Marketing at All Recipes. She's going to talk about how they implemented a beacon marketing strategy and how others can follow that strategy to find success of their own as well with beacons. So it's going to be a really interesting conversation. cannot wait to learn more about this technology and how it factors into what All Recipes is doing these days. So it's going to be a really exciting conversation coming up next year on the Market Scale IoT podcast.
0: I'm your host, Sam Mosier, and today, Esme Williams, Vice President of Brand Marketing at All Recipes, joins us to talk about proximity marketing through beacons. Beacon triggered marketing is changing the retail landscape. Location-based beacons that trigger specialized messages to be sent to shoppers' mobile phones are already being used by stores like Macy's, Urban Outfitters, and CVS. All Recipes partnered with Mark's Grocery Stores in Ohio to inspire in-store meal ideas using beacons. Using this location-based marketing technology, Mobile View on Allrecipes' Dinner Spinner app went up to $26 million and as high as $35.9 million per month. It's really exciting stuff. Esme, how are you doing today?
4: Oh, I'm doing fantastic, thanks, Sam.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. So, to get into beacon technology, it's fairly new. It was introduced this decade and didn't really start to take off until these last couple of years. And beacons mean a few things. Some beacons use GPS technology and the more specific in-store beacons use Bluetooth low energy signals. So with that being said, in your case, Could you explain the Beacon technology all recipes used in collaboration with Mark's Grocery Stores and how you first discovered it?
4: The technology uh, was uh, provided in conjunction with Verifone. They're a very large provider of um, technologies into grocery stores. Oftentimes when you are uh, perhaps entering your loyalty card uh, number or swiping your uh, credit card for payment, you'll notice that the technology is provided by Verifone. Beacons can come in many different forms. In some cases, it's um, a small device that uh, could be installed uh, right above the entry point into a grocery store. Um, In this case, the beacon technology was integrated into the cash registers, which made it very easy for the grocery retailer to um, integrate that technology into their retail environment.
0: Huh. That's interesting. So, hypothetically, say I'm a I'm a shopper at Marks Grocery Stores. What's an example of a type of alert or message I could get through these beacons if I was shopping there?
4: Yeah. So, um, you know, a beacon is is uh, think of it as sort of like a, a a lighthouse. It's it's a technology that is is uh, looking to see if there's anyone within its proximity that may have um, an app downloaded onto their phone. It it doesn't know necessarily who you are. So it, it's it's not capturing anything that's sort of personally identifiable. It's more just um, something that that prompts the, the technology to, to know that, that a shopper um, who has the All Recipes Dinner Spinner app is loaded onto their phone and can then prompt a notification. And so um, in our case, what we were able to do, which was really interesting, is um, the tech Uh, we were able to send out a notification that that took into consideration um, what store you were visiting, uh, the time of day, um, the time of year, as well as the weather outside, and then what products were on sale. And so what we did is for each retail location, taking all of these factors into consideration, we were able to send a notification that gave people a dinner recommendation for that night. And so, um, you know, in January, um, for instance, if it's five o'clock on a Thursday night and salmon is on sale, we will let you know that, hey, you know, Esme, so glad to see you here. The weather outside is 32 degrees. That's really cold. How about bake salmon for dinner tonight? And then we would uh, provide a link to baked Dijon salmon, which was something that we knew uh, was fast, easy to make. It's prepared in the oven. And you can take advantage of the fact that salmon is on sale. Um, but that same message on a Saturday night in July might be very different. If salmon is on sale, um, again, we can let you know, hey, Esme, um, you know, it's a great night for barbecuing tonight. Um, how about uh, grilled, you know, king salmon? And, and in that case, we would uh, give people uh, a, a recipe for something that they could make on the grill, just knowing that the, the weather is nice and they
0: would might prefer
4: to be outside.
0: That's exciting. So that sounds really intuitive with the way it uses time of day and weather and location. What was the kind of research and development like for this technology when you had to factor all these elements into making such a personalized notification for shoppers depending on when and where and how they were shopping?
4: Uh, We worked really closely with um, the team at Marks. We wanted to very much understand uh, who Who their shoppers were what sort of challenges they face and and what sort of message could help propel them forward and you know whatever they were looking to accomplish through that grocery store store visit because um, whereas receiving um, notifications can be very helpful they can also be if the experience is not well thought out they can uh, be perceived as a distraction or, or something that's not helpful and so we worked uh, very closely with marks we did uh, consumer research to best understand uh, what sort of uh, message would would be perceived as most useful um, to their shopper and and then we uh, very slowly rolled out the experience just to make sure that it was something that that you know even though we had done the research was truly something that the shopper saw as helpful and interesting and added value to that uh, Mark's uh, grocery store shopping experience.
0: I see, I read how hard it is for some retailers to strike that balance between not distracting or taking away from a shopper's experience with these notifications, whereas they want to be enhancing that experience through beacon triggered content. And even when they were first introduced, Bloomberg Businessweek did a story about how retailers were struggling with deploying the technology. So with that being said, how can stores find that balance to properly set up beacons yet still use them in a relevant way?
4: Well, I mean, I think, you know, it's 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 really all about putting the customer first. And I know that's, you know, something that we hear a lot, but it's so easy to have that temptation um, if you're a retailer and, and you've got a series of objectives that you're trying to reach um, to, to try and and to sort of put your own needs first, right? Like perhaps you have a surplus of a certain item that's not selling, and so there might be that temptation to create some sort of alert that's really focused on trying to move that product off the shelf. And um, it's just, if if that's not a product that's selling, perhaps it's not something where consumers see value in the item or perhaps it's not relevant to most shoppers' needs. And so um, it's just, it's, it's so important just to um, really see this as more of a, a, an added value and a service to the, to the shopper as compared to a marketing tactic or something really um, centered on driving sales. Um, one of the things that we were able to see is not only when we featured um, certain in, ingredients through our notifications, what was interesting is not only did those that particular product see an increase in sales volume but also total cart size um, increase which was to us a really great demonstration that 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 we had enhanced that uh, shopping experience versus just trying to to drive success for a single product
0: and i can see how that distinction between using Beacon technology as a marketing tool versus using it as something to enrich and improve a shopper's experience would help it find as much success as all recipes and market grocery stores have with your use of Beacon technology. And so one of those hurdles that people have to get over when using Beacons for the most part is they have to be integrated or used in conjunction with a a mobile app. How did all recipes advertise their dinner spinner app in order to get people's awareness the way that they can be used in a Mark's grocery store?
4: Yeah, great, uh, great question. So it really takes us back to um, why Mark's partnered with us um, to begin with, because, um, you know, it it was really the Mark's grocery store that has the relationship with Verifone. And so um, it would have been in some cases, potentially easier for them just to tie the Beacon technology to their own app. But um, I think they were very quick to realize that um, this technology would not really, or this experience would not be successful unless there was already a large um, install base of shoppers who had um, an app on their phone, right? And so... Um, that was one of the reasons why they look to partnering with us. But to sort of build on your point and answer your question, you know, okay, great, now we've got this technology and this experience, but we don't want to really capture um, the shopper off guard when all of a sudden they're um, seeing these notifications appear on, on their phone. And so um, Mark did a phenomenal job um, integrating uh, communication about this new experience, what it was, and how consumers could benefit from it. Um, into their store signage Uh, they also had a weekly fsi um, that they distributed where they included messaging in that collateral they also have some really great in-store radio experiences and so they were able to um, integrate messaging into that as well and then uh, we created some promotions working together with them um, for those folks who noticed the notification and the uh, marketing around it Um, they were able to go to the customer support desk and receive um, a all recipes reusable shopping bag which was a great way to sort of gauge whether or not the communication uh, was reaching the consumer whether or not they understood what the experience was and then also uh, by coming to the customer support counter The Marks team was able to ask questions regarding the experience and and how well it was being received and uh, perhaps any improvements that that we could make to the notifications. And so it was really very much a 360 degree experience in terms of creating awareness, but also capturing feedback.
0: That's really exciting. I know a lot of people looking to incorporate this Beacon technology into their own stores can look to this consumer first and really research-based mentality to make sure that they find success in it. And it's clear that beacon technology is really taking off. Uh, I was reading that uh, research from ABI that uh, total Bluetooth Low Energy Beacon shipments, which is the ones found in stores, will exceed 400 million units by 2020. And with data like from business technology company Swirl Network saying that over 70% of shoppers say beacon-triggered content increases the likelihood of them making an in-store purchase. It's clear why beacons are going to become such a more commonplace thing as time goes on. So with that being said, how do you expect beacon technology to change either in small or big ways or the way it's incorporated as it becomes more commonplace?
4: Well, um, one of the uh, the requirements when we rolled out uh, this uh, beacon-driven experience um, was really that uh, That there was a corresponding um, app that that tied back to the phone. Um, My understanding is that the beacon technology is evolving to the point to where uh, apps, a related app isn't necessarily required, which will really expand uh, the the, uh, percentage of shoppers that a retailer can reach and remove some of that friction and ensuring that um, that the messaging is, is being received by everyone. I think once you achieve scale, it um, pretty significantly um, increases uh, the types of programs and opportunities that you're able to roll out. Uh, I do think that um, you know, retailers will still need to tread very softly on how they leverage the beacons just to be sure that it's not something that detracts from the shopping experience when beacon technology first emerged, there was sort of concerns with, uh, what if multiple beacons are placed in a store, then all of a sudden a consumer could be hit um, with many different sort of competing messages or, or, or feel overwhelmed. So I, I do think that it's an experience that the retailer needs to c- control very closely.
0: Absolutely. Even as it becomes more commonplace, retailers will still have to work to find that balance we've talked about for properly using beacons and not overwhelming shoppers with that content. Nonetheless, Esme, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to see how All Recipes uses technology to continue to innovate in the future.
1: My pleasure, Sam. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. Now, on to the rest of the show.
1: Thanks to correspondent Sam Mosier and to Esme Williams for that look at what All Recipes is doing with Beacon Marketing. That is all, unfortunately, that we have time for for this week's episode of the Market Scale IoT podcast. Remember, all of our CES coverage is going on on marketscale.com right now. If you click on the Industries page and then go down to Software and Tech, that's where we're hosting all of our CES coverage. But again, lots of overlap between software and tech and the IoT world. Also, you can follow along on Twitter and Instagram by following at scale. My colleague, Daniel Litwin, who is one of the normal hosts of this show, uh, he is there right now posting lots of stuff on social media. So you're going to want to follow along with everything. If you can't be at CES, the best thing to do is follow along with Market Scale CES coverage. So you can do that there on social media as well. We'll be back again soon with another episode of the Market Scale IoT podcast. But until then, I've been your host, Tyler Kern. Thank you for listening.